coming up on this week's episode of TechSnap. We've got the details of the latest WordPress vulnerability, the surprising or not-so-surprising takeover of a cybersecurity firm's website, and then, watch out, hackers may be using your PC microphone to steal your data. Then we've got your feedback, a rip-roaring roundup, and so much more on this week's episode of TechSnap. Welcome to this week's episode of TechSnap, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly systems, network, and administration podcast. This episode was streamed live on February 21st, 2017, and is brought to you by our three excellent sponsors, DigitalOcean, Ting, and iX Systems. My name is Wes, and with me this week, as every week, is our host, the admin, the organizer, and most importantly for us today, the explainer. Welcome to the show, Dan. Hello, Wes. Hello, chat room. How is everyone tonight? Hey, I'm doing great, and it looks like our chat room is active and happy to be here. I know I am. I am. Woo, how have you been since last week, Mr. Dan? Good, good. Um, Any new hardware developments? Any new uh, installs in the house? Well, I still got this thing, which is yet to be installed. Oh, that's your new uh, APC Uh, power supply? On the weekend, I spent most of my time uh, on PGCon and BSGCAN. Doing um, those organizational duties we just mentioned. There we go. On BSGCAN and PGCon um, selection of talks and notifying of speakers. Oh, very nice. Important work. Still sitting there, which means the the real UPS is not working. Um, I did manage to have a... Special cable arrived today. Oh, it's a um, UPS, an APC UPS cable, which is basically just uh, specially wired uh, DB9 plugs. With oh, uh, this yeah. may just be a straight pass-through Ethernet cable. And so, how but, will you um, use that? Um, I used it to connect through to the. APC UPS I see. and change the IP addresses from the hard-coded stuff that was for, who did I mention that last week? Was it Citicorp or someone used to own this thing? Oh, right, right. And then you got it. I, I put the IP addresses up somewhere on GitHub so that I'd know who they were, but I changed them all to my internal stuff now and, and added it to Libra NMS and I'm getting nice. nice little graphs of temperatures and 100% battery So it's just strength. A, doing SNMP polling there to grab all that info for you? Yeah. And um, Libra NMS is doing that all over SNMP. Is that using RRD or cacti for the graphing or something else? It's, it's not cacti. It's using its own thing and oh, it's okay. all graphed in the client. And I'm not sure how that's done. I do think it's already RRD. Okay. Interesting. We'll have to look at that more later. Files. It, it's very nice. If, if if the data comes out on SNMP, SNMP, yeah, it'll, it'll grab it, give it to you. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And there's some other stuff. We're going to talk about this later on. It's not a tape thing, but we'll talk about it soon because I found it on Reddit. Nice. Ooh, Dan's surprising Reddit finds. I'm excited already. Mm-hmm. But first, we have like a ton of actual things to talk about. Yes, we do. What's our first yes, story today? Well, let me move closer here. So the first thing is a problem with not patching. Ugh. Well, I, I'm 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 assuming it's it's a product of not patching, right. but we'll find out. Actually, I don't think we ever will find out. But hey, but we can speculate. So Trend Micro's own cybersecurity blog gets hacked. So Trend Micro is a pretty big name in security-related issues. So. Um, Mickey Caskill uh, quotes the Silicon article, and I'm not going to read this first bit because I'm going to read it in the second bit, but if you drop down to the next paragraph, the chairman of Trend Micro claimed in 2011 that open source software was, quote, inherently less secure than closed source. That's what it says. Whoa. But instead of blaming WordPress, which is what what the attack factor for this defacing Ferguson said it goes to show how breaches are an unfortunate fact of life and that companies should be judged on how they respond 
yeah, he, I hate to say it, but that's what someone would say when they got anyway. <laughs> right, that is a that is a defense it, kind it of argument. So uh, he goes on. Of course, technology and best practice can mitigate the vast majority of intrusion attempts, but when one is successful, even as low level as this, you are more defined by how you respond than you are by the fact that it happened. Yeah. I want to go back to the first part of his statement. He was saying that it, it is inherently less secure than closed source. Open source is inherently less secure than closed source. And I don't know how he's basing that on. I can speculate that maybe he believes that by not seeing the code, it's more difficult to find bugs. Sure, right. I mean, I think we've heard that argument from proprietary vendors before. Yeah. Secure, security but, through obscurity, almost. But by seeing the code, more vulnerabilities are found and fixed. Right. Therefore, there must be fewer bugs remaining. Can you, but I don't think you can say the same thing about closed source. Right. And with closed source, you get additional burdens of, hey, if it is closed source, you have, may have to wait for the vendor to patch it. You have no ability to fix things yourself. Yep. Hmm. All right. On, on to the, um, the, the article quoted by slash dot. Let, let's look at what uh, Silicon Code at UK had to say here. So, Trend Micro confirms a content spoofing vulnerability that allowed fake articles onto its blog and says firmly should respond honestly and swiftly. I'm not sure why he's mentioning honestly there. Um, in an era of unprecedented cyber threats, many organizations turn to security firms for guidance on how to avoid how to prevent and respond to incidents, and to the researchers for information about the latest threats. But just to illustrate that you can never be too careful, cybersecurity specialist Trend Micros confirmed that one of the blogs it uses to communicate with customers was itself the victim of a content spoofing attack. We'll, we'll go into the details of, of how they get in and what they did later, but for the time being, let's start with that. Continue. The culprits exploited a vulnerability in WordPress to inject fake to inject fake content onto the blog before it was removed by Trend Micro and the bug fixed. So that tells me that Trend Micro wasn't patched. Kind of okay, seems that continue. way. So they give a they give a picture of of what happened. The you have been hacked thing. So going on to talk about what Trend Micro had to say. Um, Global head of security research, Rick Ferguson, confirmed that the low-level incident, they put low-level in quotes, to Silicon and said that it goes to show how breaches are an unfortunate fact of life and that companies should be judged on how they respond. He then says, we got reports from many researchers regarding attacks using this vector and we deployed a custom policy to block the attacks, he explained. Unfortunately, there are many different URLs attackers can use to carry out the same attack, so a couple of fake articles ended up posted on countermeasures. That's their blog. We have responded and shut down the vulnerability completely to resolve the issue. Does that mean they patched it? I think it means they patched it. Yeah, probably, uh, I, right? I, th I think that's, that's what they mean. <laughs> they're not saying, they're not being specific on what they said. Just serves to demonstrate that something that I have Often repeated in presentation, presentations, we are all a potential victim of digital attacks and we can't afford to take our eyes off the ball at any time. The best way to respond to any attack of this nature is with honesty and alacrity. And that's what we have endeavored to do. Okay, that, that's, that's what he means by honesty. Come right out and say what happened. So I thought he was referring to vendors at first. Right, yeah. But that, I mean, that, that makes sense. Continuing on with his quote, of course, technology and best practice can mitigate the vast majority of intrusion attempts, but when one is successful, even as low level as this, you are more defined by how you respond than you are by the fact that it happened. That, that's a repeat of the quote from the previous page. One notable, <coughs> pardon me, one notable content spoofing attack hijacked router DNS settings to intercept Google Analytics tags and replace them with pornography and adverts. Uh -oh. that, that would be unfortunate. Yeah, that's terrible. So that's what Trend Micro had to say about it. 
now I want to go on to what WordPress said about it. And I'll be honest, I don't like the way that Silicon has worded this post. That uh, It's almost as if they're trying to say WordPress is being sneaky and quiet about it. But, but when you WordPress like actually like, look at the source, it, not, you understand that that's really not what it looks like. Yeah, WordPress was following best practices in my uneducated opinion. Okay, so the title is WordPress Quietly Fixes Zero-Day Flaw. Shh. Serious zero-day vulnerability quietly patched after WordPress intentionally <laughs> delayed disclosure of the flaw. That's a bit blowing it up a bit. Yeah, I think so. so. WordPress quietly slipped out a patch for its content management system amid fears that attackers would exploit a very serious zero-day vulnerability. So the flaw originated at uh, Sucuri, and WordPress was... Uh, now, pay attention to the dates. WordPress was uh, alerted to the flaw on 20 January, but didn't initially disclose the flaw in order to upgrade all the other websites. So they say that the WordPress platform powers at least a quarter of the 10 million most popular websites, making it a popular host, popular target for attackers. So yeah, there's a lot of WordPress out there. Yes, there is. I've got four of them, maybe yep. five. I've administered Five. some myself. I know a lot of people who turn that just like, you know, they want a blog platform they, or even just for like a small business. That's the first thing that people recommend usually. I really like it for writing. For, oh, for composing. Sure. I, I, I like it. Right. It seems like they spend a lot of time on the, the web interface, getting things right. So it's easy for content creators in that regard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. But it does make it so that the second there's a vulnerability, you have a bunch of script kitties out there trying to take advantage of it. Yep. So now I'm going to skip down to the bit about where, where the, the researcher talks about uh, disclosure. We disclosed the vulnerability to the WordPress security team, who handled it extremely well. They worked closely with us to coordinate the disclosure time, timeline and get as many hosts and security providers aware and patched before this became public. Now, that bit's important. We'll come back to the, the, that later about hosts and security providers. So, a fix for this was silently included in version 4.72, along with other less severe issues. This was done intentionally to give everyone time to patch. We are now disclosing the details because we feel there's been enough time for WordPress users to update their sites. So, we'll come back to that as well, because um, we're not yet to the part of where WordPress actually released it. So, so far, all we've got is, is the 20th when they were notified. Right. We'll get to when it was released. We j I just want to go through uh, what this researcher was saying. So, it seems that uh, this is not no longer a quote. It's back to what security, what Silicon is saying. It seems that major WordPress hosting services and web security firms are offering web application firewalls, such as Cloudflare and in Encapsula, were apparently warned about the vulnerability ahead of this week's public disclosure and ahead of the release of WordPress 4.72 last week. This was done to help minimize the risk of attacks. Some people are going to complain about why do some people get advance notice? Why don't we all get advance notice? Right. How do you decide who gets it, who doesn't? That sort of thing. Well, my response to that is that if everyone gets advance notice, everyone gets hacked. You, you don't release a zero day without a patch. You get everything patched and ready to go before you announce the zero day. And there was quite some time between the release and the... Uh, public disclosure of the vulnerability. We'll, we'll also get to how the, the things escalated uh, after release. Right. So now, uh, uh, briefly talk about the WordPress ex explanation, but I don't want to go into that. <clears throat> I don't want to go into that except to mention that the release 4.72 went out on Thursday, January 26th. So that was six days after they were notified. This release went out over our auto-update system, and over a couple of hours, millions of WordPress 4.7x users were protected without knowing about the issue or taking any action. Now, I can confirm this because I got a bunch of emails from my websites, and they were all updated on January 26th between about 2.30 and 3.30 p.m. Wow. EST. Nice. So, 
I've got them set to automatically upgrade, and I don't know how they do it. But it happens. I know. Did it cause it any happened. issues? Does that break at all for you? Any problems? Never had one break because of the automatic upgrade. Nice. Hey, that's a good experience. So, um, now, that's enough of this article. I want to go to the um, disclosure of additional information from WordPress. So, one of the things that happened after the notification on the 20th, Meanwhile, Security added rules to the web application firewall to block exploit attempts against their clients. Uh-huh. The issue was found internally. This issue was found internally, and no outside attempts were discovered. So what they're saying is they started looking for it in the wild, and they didn't find it. So over the weekend, we reached out to several other companies with uh, web application firewalls, including SiteLock, Cloudflare, and Encapsulator. So they got advance notice as well. By Monday, they had rules in place and were regularly checking for exploit attempts in the wild. So the, uh, I've seen this before, where there's a zero day here. It you know, should we announce that it? it's out there or should we just quietly patch it? Right. And what they're doing here is is looking to see if it's actually being exploited before they make a decision. I like that. Using the data to inform your policy there, determine, you know, is it already being exploited? Is it something we need to be aware of? Or do we have enough time here where we can craft the patch, do it responsibly? There, there was something that got um, announced before it was patched so that people could take action. Oh, okay. I can't remember what it was, but it was a pretty big deal. And that that was recently, too, within the past few months. So, um, by Monday, we continued to test and refine the the fix. Our our focus shifted to WordPress hosts. We contacted them privately with information on the vulnerability and ways to protect users. Hosts worked closely with the security team to implement protections and regularly checked for exploit attempts against their users. By Wednesday afternoon, most of the hosts we worked with had protections in place, data from all four WAFs, and WordPress hosts showed no indication that the vulnerability had been exploited in the wild, which is good. Which yeah, that's means great. That there, there wasn't anything out there. So as a result, we make the decision to delay disclosure of this particular issue to give time for automatic updates to run and ensure as many users as possible were protected before this issue is made public. So now they say we released on January 26th. The release went out. We'd like to thank the security researchers for the responsible disclosure as well as working with us. And all in all, it's a nice little little post. Now, the next article that I want to talk about is what this problem actually was. So, if you, it's the content injection vulnerability in WordPress. So, this is February six. So, this is five or six days after the fix was released. And it's also the same date as the previous blog post by WordPress that we're talking about. Okay. So if you scroll down to about the third screenshot, keep going, keep going right there. All righty. So basically what happens is is you feed in a value, one, two, three, A, B, C. And it would say, oh, are you allowed to use that? And it says, no, you're not allowed to use that. But then it gets passed to another variable and what it does is it changes the ver- to another function and what that function does is changes that variable from a string to an int which returns one two three Ooh. but then the problem with that is it assumes that you're already validated but you're not validated so here you go you can start working on post one two three or something like that now it's just a simple little oh Oops, I didn't intend for that to happen. And it, 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 it's about a v- the same variable being used in different places and also being cast to something different. If it's supposed to be an int, when you get the variable, cast it to an int. So you have 
don't use the raw stuff that's supplied right. to you by the user. Sanitize it first. Right. At ingestion, and then get it there. Use anything but the sanitized version. Yeah, exactly. It's a great practice. So, now, the next thing is the article which talks about what happened after this. This article came out about the 10th of February. And what they're doing is they're looking at all the uh, attacks on websites. Uh, you want the article, Virally Growing Attacks. Here we are. So, attacks on websites running an updated version of WordPress are increasing at a viral rate. Almost 2 million pages have been defaced since a serious vulnerability in the content management system came to light nine days ago. Did I have that right? Nine days ago? Yeah, that's close enough. It was announced nine days ago. Right. So basically what's happening here is that people are exploiting what they've found in the code. And this is, we'll see later that the exploits started almost immediately after the release. So people were looking at, at the code, finding out what, what? had been fixed right, and exactly. how they could exploit it. So they went after the low-hanging fruit, people that hadn't been updated yet. These are script kitties. Right. This is exactly what we're talking about. Once it's there, it's easy to find, easy to exploit. That's mm -hmm. why we need these kinds of like auto-update abilities. Administrators know what they're doing. Administrators know how to patch their S. Yes. So a whole bunch, they mentioned a whole bunch of stuff that was hit, including uh, Glenn Beck's glennbeck.com, susiesnews.opensusie.org. The U.S. Department of Energy, the Utah Office of Tourism, Yikes. much more. At least 19 separate campaigns. So there's 19 scripts written. 19 different people doing this stuff. Virtually all the vandalism is being carried out by exploiting a severe ex uh, vulnerability. So they, uh, so they show you a little graph. But what's interesting is the link to the Google Trends Network. So let's go to the next page, which is, a good, which is the hacked by page. So if you look here, January 1st is when it was discovered. And by January 22nd, and then it ramps right up until February. Now, this can't be right, because this wasn't announced until February 1st. So they've got that graph starting on January 1st, when it really should start on February 1st. It, all this other stuff, all this hacked by, they must be exploiting something else. Right. They would know about this other event. But if you, if you look at the next ramp up, where all the other triangles start, that is January 29th to February 4th. Oh, so, yes. That starts to make a lot of and, sense. And all these other ones start up. So the blue one is... Average, hacked by Mahamama. It doesn't actually say the whole name. Yeah. So, but then you see it starts ramping up, ramping up, and then by February 5th or February 11th, it starts dropping down again. That corresponds to the release date. Let me see here. No, January. Alerted to the flaw in January, and it was announced, it was fixed on the 26th, and it was talked about on February 1st. So, yeah, these dates, it'd be nice to change these graphs around to be different dates. But anyway, that's the last of the stuff to talk about today. I just found this graph interesting. Oh, I know. It, it's very interesting. It's, uh, it's amazing how much you can kind of get out of Google Trends sometimes and just kind of see what... You know, just even based on pretty simple search queries, like these are not that complex to throw you can see, but you can really see the shape of the relationship and kind of see why it matters, how we release these things, how we notify people. It's not always perfect. And there's, there's issues kind of on both camps here, but really the end goal should be like, don't make it easy for people to get hacked, right? Right. So do you have any and tips for the audience as a WordPress sometimes administrator yourself? Um. Always hack, always hack your site. <laughs> set auto updates on. Yep. You can also set auto updates on for plugins. Um, I manually update my plugins because I have one set of plugins that feeds all my websites. So it's like Simlink through. Right. 
I do them manually. That way you can QA uh, and all that kind of thing. I'm running on ZFS and I get snapshots. So yeah, that's if a win. something does happen, I could always roll back to a snapshot if I needed to. And I have backups. Right. Make sure you dump your MySQL database on a regular basis so that if something like this happens, you still get your old data. <laughs> hey, that's always a good idea, right? Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Well, anything else you'd like to add about this story? No. Okay. With that, we come to our first sponsor. Maybe you've been hearing about WordPress, you're interested in having a blog of your own, or you're, you know, you're worried about the security of a buy our WordPress here, we'll host it for you, we'll administer. You're like, hey, I can do a better job. Have we got a company for you? That's right. It's DigitalOcean. What is DigitalOcean? It's the simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easiest way to spin up a cloud server. You can create one in just 55 seconds. Pricing plans start at only $5 per month. And hey, that comes up with up to a terabyte of transfer. They have got, uh, they've got everything you need. They've got a great API. Just come up here, right here, API. They have a nice little Explorer interface. And if that's not for you, DigitalOcean is renowned in the industry for having the simplest, easiest, most intuitive way to get started. You don't have to be, you don't have to be an expert, or if you are, they make it easy for you. They've got apps. Plus, they've got a huge community of people who've been writing plugins, scripts, apps for your phone, all kinds of stuff. So whether you're on the go, you're at home, you're sitting in front of a giant screen, doesn't matter. Head over to DigitalOcean. They'll work with you. They'll work where you are. They've got data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Frankfurt. I could go on, but uh, they're always working on more. It's great. Plus, that comes with that comes with great connectivity right to the KVM hypervisor. You've got full KVM virtualization. That means you can get goodies like, hey, Arch Linux, FreeBSD. If you want, you can even get OpenBSD, NetBSD on there. And DigitalOcean works with you. Plus, plus, and this is a huge one, they have an awesome community of users who are constantly contributing to their excellent documentation. And DigitalOcean pays real editors to turn those docs into some of the best sources for how to do things you'll find anywhere on the internet. So go over to DigitalOcean, use our promo code. That's right, SnapOcean. That'll get you a $10 credit. That gets you started. They have hourly pricing or monthly pricing, so whatever works for you. It's one of the easiest ways you're really missing out. Plus, they're always adding new features. Like, hey, look right here. They've got load balancers. Distribute traffic across your infrastructure for $20 a month, and that doesn't take away from your bandwidth. That's right. So go try it today. DigitalOcean.com. Use promo code SNAPOcean. That tells you and them that we appreciate DigitalOcean. Alrighty. Now we're back to more TechSnap news. What do you got for us, Mr. Dan? Oh, do not separate. This is a set. What is this? Amazing, bizarre, strange, scary gadget. There are three of these, which opens like this. Hmm. It has a little compressible bit right in there. So it looks like maybe a carrying case or transport. That looks like a hard drive. It's a hard drive. Nice. So is this like a little hard hard drive? drive? It's a hard drive case. Nice. Awesome. And comes right out. Hey, look at that. And that fits the uh, the big boy 3.5 inch. These are these are the three and a half. Uh, Nice. Three and a half. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, right? Um, I bought. 15 of them. Ooh, that's awesome. Um, I posted the link in the channel, and they're good just for storage. It, it's, not for, um, it's not for use while they're in there, right. but it is a nice, and nice so little you, design. Uh, so do you just use this for like uh, when you have things sitting on the shelf or you're um, using for archival purposes maybe? You can sort of see under the bags just right there. You can see some hard drives. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I've got about 10 or 15 hard drives sitting over there that need to be put into these things. So that'll happen I think sometime I, I might soon, have to I check some of those out before I know, like, uh, I'm getting ready to move again. And I certainly well, don't want to be dragging hard drives around here, not in a nice case. This, you can put this in a, bo- in a box somewhere. I believe they're even stackable. I'm Ooh. not sure. They have little feet on them. Yeah, they, they are slightly stackable. So when you put them together like this, they sort of stick a little bit. 
because they do have tiny little feet on them. Oh, yeah, look at that. Nice. That seems like a well-designed little case. Hmm. They are how much? Uh, a pack of three is ten bucks. Okay. Hey, that's fine. So, awesome. I'll know in a few years how sturdy they are. Yeah, stay tuned, audience. We'll have an update. Now, um... We have to do some work here. Yes, we do. We've got more things to cover this week. So, I will be up front. One of my favorite cars is the Tesla. Yep, sure. Yeah. And there's a lot you can do with a Tesla remotely. And I have I mean, the they're wrong really post. just they're just connected computers, aren't they? Very fancy computers that go very quickly. <laughs> yes, have a they lot do. Of power and and oh, look pretty would... nice, don't they? Yes. Um, channel. Listeners, if you're ever thinking of a present for me, huh. a Tesla, very fast Tesla, as long as I can take a bike on the on the roof, a rack, I'll, I'll take a Tesla. I'd really like one. I'll just uh, write that down over here. Noted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, the next post we're going to talk about is almost like the Internet of Things, but it's mostly Uh-oh. it's mostly. I keep thinking VLANs and mm-hmm. um, blocking things off because that's what I'm doing here at home, sort of. I don't know how good it is, but uh, certain things are on a VLAN. Right. So, um, hackers who took control of PC microphones siphon over 600 gigabyte, gigabits from 70 targets. Now, they talk about PC microphones here, but from what I understand, it just wasn't PC microphones. It was microphones in a, in a bunch of different things. So, now by 600 gigabits, they mean that they, they downloaded audio amounting to 600 gig. Now, that's a lot of audio. It's not, you know, it, it's not a lot of video, but it's a lot of audio. So, that tells you how much stuff that they gathered. And it was from 70 different targets in a broad range of industries, including critical infrastructure, news media, and scientific research. The operation uses malware to capture audio recordings of conversations, screenshots, documents, passwords, everything. Targets are initially infected using malicious Microsoft Word documents sent in phishing emails. Once compromised, infected machines upload the pilfered audio and data to Dropbox, where it's retrieved by the attackers. Researchers have dubbed the campaign Operation Bug Drop because of its use of PC microphones to, to bug targets and send the audio and other data to Dropbox. Operation Bug Drop is a well-organized operation that employs sophisticated malware and appears to be backed by an organization with substantial resources. Substantial resources is code for government. Exactly. It's code for, for a state actor. Now... I lost my place. Uh, here we are. In particular, the operation requires a massive back-end infrastructure to store, decrypt, and analyze several gigabits, gigabytes, gigabytes per day of unstructured data that is being captured from its targets. And you have to listen to it. I'll bet they've got software that's um, uh, transcribing the audio into... You could get Google to do that for yes, you. Yes, you could. Oh, So, anyway, a large team of human analysts is also required to manually sort through captured data and process it manually and or with big data-like analytics. Examples of targets included in the campaign, a company that designs remote monitoring systems for oil and gas pipelines. Nothing could go wrong there. An international organization that monitors human rights, counterterrorism, and computer attacks on Ukrainian critical infrastructure. Now, that's the bad guys finding out how much the good guys know about the bad guys. Yeah, exactly. That's concerning. An engineering company that designs electrical substations, gas distribution pipelines, and water supply plants. Nothing sensitive there. A scientific research institute. Well, maybe they're trying to block research. I don't know. Editors of Ukrainian newspapers. 
that editors just seems... of Ukrainian newspapers might know some sensitive stuff. Yeah, that seems like a definite political target. Most of the 70 organizations known, have been, known to have been infected in Operation Drug Bug Drop are located in Ukraine, a country that in December suffered a hacker-caused power outage. It came almost exactly a year after a 2015 attack on Ukraine's power grid that caused 225,000 residents to lose electricity. In both cases, the power facilities had been hacked weeks or months before the outages so that attack attackers could gather passwords for targeted servers and workstations and create custom malware for them. So, the campaign siphoned at least 600 gigabytes gigabytes of data from its targets. Other countries affected included Saudi Arabia and Austria. Hmm. Okay. So there's no evidence that the same attackers are responsible for both Operation Bug Drop and the Ukrainian power outages. But given they went after power infrastructure this time... It definitely seems related. I would say right? it's a safe bet that it was the same people. Yeah. But... Um, there are links here that you can go a little bit further in and analyze what they did. We're not going to go too deep into that. Um, still, similarities abound. Both targeted a broad range of industries in the same geographic area. Both relied on emails that tricked targets into an enabling malicious macros included in Microsoft Word documents. Now, this bit about... You know, please just enable your macros for me, please, right. just for this little bit. We really need it. It'll make it such a great product. Mm -hmm. uh, VBA bites again. And that's how they get in. Yeah, exactly. To become infected, targets had to open the malicious Word document. Uh, scroll down to the little bit further. You can see the little office thing. There it is. Oh, yeah. I've seen that before. So to increase the chance targets would change this default setting because um, macros are disabled, the Word document included a graphic that looked like an official Microsoft notification. It read, attention, this file was created in a newer version of Microsoft Office programs. You must enable macros to correctly display the contents of a document. So, of course, people yeah, turned it on that's and nefarious. they got infected. Yeah, right? Who wouldn't? Oh, helpful prompt. Let me just click here and... <sighs> Yikes. In you go. Yeah, exactly. It's so easy. So, skilled hackers with substantial financial resources carried out Operation Bug Drop. Given the amount of data analysis that needed to be done on a daily basis, we believe Bug Drop was heavily staffed. Given the sophistication of the code and how well the operation was executed, We've concluded that those carrying out carrying it out have previous field experience. Wow. Now, I see one of the thing. Sorry. Oh no, that's uh, yeah. I mean, it, it that's that's impressive. That is a lot of data, and clearly these people know what targets they want, and you know what are some common vectors where you can really get in at the edge level where you don't have to fight you know you don't have to take down the firewall or find a vulnerability people are just opening your documents that's that's so easy so now i th these definitely were were pcs it wasn't what i was thinking of mm -hmm. i went in the promoted comments at the bottom of this post one of the things uh that one of the uh commenters mentions is that he worked somewhere where there's about 10 Linux boxes that showed up on the voice network one day. They were listening on Telnet, HTTP, and FTP. He went to find out what was going on, and they were conference room phones. They are full-featured They are a full-featured computer, IP-connected, so why not run Linux on them and make our voice app a software daemon on top of that, said a lazy or very foolish person. <laughs> So, if that was the case, I can see you can't very well VLAN off your PCs once they get attacked. But wouldn't you want your IP phones on a separate VLAN and all they right. can do is connect back to the right place? I feel like in most deployments I've seen, that's exactly what you would do. Hmm. Because I have my, this is all on one VLAN, this is all on one VLAN, same VLAN. 
Um, the stuff out in the living room is on a different VLAN. All the blue wires are a different VLAN from the orange wires. Um, so, yeah, if I can do VLANs and I'm not very good at them. Yeah, I mean, even the basic, like even the so-called smart switches where you have a web UI, most of them make it pretty straightforward to group things, select ports, get started. And then if you have a real managed switch, it's, you know, you should know what you're doing there too. But it, yep. it's pretty accessible to most consumers. You can set it up just when you get your device. You don't have to come back and do a bunch of maintenance if they're fixed appliances. Yeah. It seems like an easy win. I don't know how successful VLANs would be with run-of-the-mill consumers. Oh, no, sure. I mean, you need to, you need to one, understand what a VLAN is. Yeah. Uh, you know, have the ability to find your web UI or yeah. console. Why do I need to connect this into a different port than this one? Why, why can't I plug it all into the same router? Right. Why can't they, you know, why do I have to have a different wireless ID for them? Why can't everyone use the same Wi-Fi ID? And maybe this needs to be something to be more actively researched, especially as we add more devices to our networks of kind of untrustworthy, you have more people in your home, you have more mm-hmm. IoT devices everywhere. Be nice if there was something so that consumers didn't have to think about it, but they could get those kinds of security wins still. I don't know how to do that, but no. Interesting. I don't either. Well, anything else you'd like to add about this one? Um, don't be clicking on Word documents that people send you, especially if they say, "Oh, you need macros enabled." Right. Anytime you need to like make a change to your system to get it to work be suspicious, especially if someone sent it to you over the internet. You don't know who they are. You don't know. Yep. You weren't expecting this document. That's an easy way right there. <sighs> yep. You're right. You're very right, sir. So what will we do, Dan? Well, all right. On to something that makes me a little less depressed, and that is our next sponsor. Yay. Head on over to Ting. Oh, let's get that out. That's the wrong show. Go on over to techsnap.ting.com and get started with a wireless carrier that's here to make mobile make sense. What is Ting? Ting is the new, your new best friend in the mobile industry. They are a no BS mobile service provider. No contracts, no early termination fees. Plus, it all starts at just $6 a month. And if you go over to techsnap.ting.com, not only does that tell Ting that we are grateful that they support this here program, it also gets you a $25 service credit. So, with these prices, I mean $6 a month to start, then you go over to the rates page, you'll see what I mean. It's super reasonable. So if you're like me, you don't you don't need any minutes. You don't need any text messages because you're savvy, like the people at Ting. All you have here are your data prices. So if you're on Wi-Fi a lot, you know, a lot of buses have Wi-Fi these days. My office has Wi-Fi. The studio has Wi-Fi. That means your first month most likely is going to be under that $25. So you really have no excuse. Just go over to techsnap.ting.com and get started. Or, you know, hey, maybe maybe that's not when you use it. You can also go over, check out their shop. They've got awesome phones unlocked. They don't get in the way of your updates. And they start at super reasonable prices. Like, look at this. The Alcatel A392, $45. You can pick up a SIM card for just $9. With all of this, there's no add-on charges. You get voicemail, you get caller ID, tethering, hotspot, three-way calling, call forwarding, and all the other features that you expect to pay a premium for with those other providers. Hey, not so on Ting. They want it to make sense. You're an adult, right? Just pay for what you use. I love Ting. They're my mobile service provider. Plus, uh, they make it so easy. They've got a great UI. I've, I've honestly never spoken to anyone at Ting. I know that they have wonderful customer service from everyone else I know that use it. And give them a call. They have friendly humans to talk to but you just a little secret you won't need to because the website is easy they have a great app it just makes it so easy so get started techsnap.ting.com and thank you to ting for sponsoring the techsnap program and that brings us to this week's feedback where we check in with all the awesome things you've sent us first up this week we've got something from jason Let's see here. Hello. I was wondering if anyone can help me. I'm trying to set up a VPN server on my Raspberry Pi 3 that is running Open Media Vault. I have the VPN set up and configured. Hey, good start. But I cannot access other PCs on the network. 
or my files that I've shared via Samba on the Open Media Vault. I have access to the web GUI for Open Media Vault, but nothing else. How do I configure it so that I can access the other devices and drives on the network? Hey, I can understand that. It's pretty hard to use a VPN if you, uh, you know, can't talk to it. So, you said you had an answer here, Mr. Dan. Let's help Jason out. I do. I do. I do. Look at you. Okay. The first thing I thought of is my own VPN, which is OpenVPN. Okay. And with OpenVPN, you want to look for IPv4 local network. So look for a local network setting. And these are the networks that will be accessible from the remote endpoint. I think that's what you're missing. You have to tell your VPN server that your VPN clients are allowed to reach these particular networks. And until you do that, it won't be able to do that. You don't mention which um, VPN server you're using, so I can't help you any more than that. I'm just hoping that it is OpenVPN, but even if it isn't, you should have a setting, something like that. Right. I mean, you're right. The VPN server basically needs to be the gateway to your internal network or whatever network you want to access here. Mm -hmm. Okay. On to our next bit of feedback. Okay, this is from Srinath, who uh, writes to us about comments on bank security, or, hey, lack thereof, and uh, some stuff we were talking about with Mesos last week or two weeks ago. All right, he writes, Hi, I'd just like to comment a little bit on these two subjects. Number one, banks. It seems that the listener was worried about the size of the pin on his bank card, but that's not so insecure as we might think. First, we have to understand that usually you are identifying yourself using the card's number and not your name slash email or something that could be easily retrieved over the internet. Second, banks have a stringent policy related to the number of PIN attempts. Usually after three to five attempts, the card account will be blocked and you'll have to call to unlock it or even get a whole new card. Sometimes I've seen that you'll have to get a repin as well. So, yeah. Also, most card slash bank frauds happen using other methods, as you guys have been covering over and over again. Lastly, if they'd enforce stronger pins, there would be a cost associated with support calls, which I believe they are not willing to take, right? Yeah, sure. People are not great with passwords, long numbers, that kind of thing. It all comes down to the risk analysis done by the bank, and they are not worried about you. They are worried about themselves. I mean, yeah, it's a business. you got to make these kinds of things sort of similar. Reminds me of how Amazon doesn't do the, uh, the verify your, your uh, well, CVC on the back of your card because they, it doesn't make sense for them to do so. Uh, All right, back to his feedback here. Number two, Mesos and similar solutions. Uh, He writes in saying, with his understanding, being a data streaming solution, data on Kafka is mostly a temporary cache, or it's being used routed between services, in between services. You have publishers and consumers that will be getting data from somewhere and sending that data to somewhere else. If you need to back up data, you probably want to run them on either end. For example, if you were sending data to Hadoop, you'll probably back, back up your data once it's in Hadoop. Hope this is of any help, Srina. Awesome. Well, I think that's great feedback. What do you have to say about that one? That, that was very useful. I'm glad they wrote in with that. I appreciate that as well. It, 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 it's good to get the listener's impression of how things work. That's why we love the TechSnap community. And you mentioning... Um, Amazon not requiring you to enter in the three digits mm-hmm. from the back of your uh, card. Uh, some places don't even bother you to sign the re- credit card receipt right. if it's under yeah. a certain amount. And yeah, they don't worry about it. And you know, you can walk into an Apple store, pay for something using your phone, and then walk back out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't have to talk to anyone. Don't have to talk to you anyone. Just pick it up, walk it out. Yeah. Um, the staff policy is that you you don't confront someone walking out with with product. Oh, interesting. So, I'm guessing that the shoplifting rate is very low, mm-hmm. and they don't have the big ticket items out. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, I, again, I think it's just a cost benefit. Yeah. Right. And a lot of things like that are especially in the business world of hey, if it's easier, and especially like with banks, they've gotten pretty good. They have some pretty streamlined operations for detecting fraud. I think we've talked about that a little bit before. They find it pretty quick these days. And not in all cases, right? That's, hey, that's what this show is for to talk about. But in your like day-to-day things, they'll give you a call to try to verify purchases. It's easier than trying to. Plus, you also have a lot of technical debt and other things where you need, you know, increasing pin length and other systems. It's, it's a lot of complex changes to make where 
increasing maybe manpower to staff those kind mm-hmm. those kinds of things is an easier win. I'm I'm also thinking about uh, oh. oh I forget it. We'll get back to it. I'll mention it later on. Okay, that sounds good. So, if you liked this feedback, you want to talk to us, send some in. We will read it right here on the show. We'll try to answer our questions. Or, hey, maybe you heard something we said. It was wrong. You had a correction or an update or more information. Write that in, too. You can go over to the subreddit, techsnap.reddit.com. You can hit us up on Twitter. There's a lot of options. We love hearing from your feedback. Anything else on this one, Dan? Uh, No, thank you. Hey, my pleasure. And with that, we are coming to our final sponsor for this episode, and that is our friends over at IX Systems. Go to ixsystems.com slash techsnap, where you will get to go to their ultimate guide to buying a new server for open source. This highlights one of the things I love about IX Systems. But first, what is IX Systems? If you haven't heard about IX Systems, they're the best kept secret in the hardware provider industry. They have custom servers with amazing Intel processors. They're ready to customize them for you. They have an amazing team of sales engineers. So if, you, if you're like me, and maybe you've been working with some of these other vendors, big box stores, big box vendors, you feel more like you're just part of a pipeline. You don't get the personal service. Or you know maybe you're talking with the person at your workplace who's responsible for buying new systems, and you're having a beer with them, and you're sharing some stories about the horrible support that you're getting, the bad experience. That means you're ripe to be an IX Systems customer. They have talented sales engineers ready to work with you. You might not think your server needs to be custom, but let me tell you, IX System knows, I know, and I think deep down you know that it deserves to be. It doesn't matter if your job is small, large. IX Systems has seen it all. And as you can see here, they've got this awesome white paper ready to go. It's a great resource to give to higher-ups, or anyone you know who needs new hardware, they're involved with open source, or, you know, even proprietary, that's just fine. iXSystem knows how to make it all work. They're experts. They'll help you set up FreeBSD. They'll install Linux, Windows if you need it, whatever it takes. They've been there. They've done it. Go on over iXSystems.com slash TechSnap. You can see some of their great things. They are the people responsible for FreeNAS, which, hey, if you watch this show, you know we love. But if you need bigger things, you know, maybe your NASA or VMware, Semantic, GM, one of these guys, then you're looking at something like this, the true NAS, ah, or even the true rack. I love looking at it. I wish I had space in my house to have a nice rack like that. Just get them to deliver a true rack. Can have all the storage I would ever need. Or, hey, you want to just keep up to date? IX Systems does some great work with the community. Going over to their blog, they always have something interesting. Like, look at this. TrueNAS provides lower total cost of ownership than software-defined storage. You can see that the people at IX, they really stay current with what's going on, right? So look, look. They now have an S3 backup option. It's cloud-friendly. It's open-source-friendly. Don't waste any more time working with uh, hardware vendors that aren't ready to treat you like you deserve. Go on over to ixsystems.com slash techsnap. That lets them know that you appreciate them supporting us, this show, and the network. ixsystems.com slash techsnap. And with that, it's now time for our Rockin' Roundup. What do you got for us this week, Master of the Roundup Dan? Well, today... We have an article on Slashdot. We've got a lot on Slashdot yeah. today. Hey, One, two, you, Slashdot. three. I think we had two before. So I think this is more Slashdot in this one episode than we've, we've ever had ever in had. any of our previous six episodes. The Slashdot like record. Yeah. So an anonymous reader writes, uh, for the second time in three months, Google engineers have discovered a bug in the Windows OS without Microsoft having released a fix before Google's announcement, reports Bleeping Computer. So, in effect, what's happened here is uh, Google has announced or, or found a bug, told Microsoft about it, but then Microsoft haven't released it. But then Google said, oh, well, the 90 days is up, so we're going to have to disclose it to the public. But that leads us into our next Roundup post. Microsoft delays February patch Tuesday indefinitely. Whoa. Indefinitely, huh? 
Microsoft today announced that it had to delay its February Patch Tuesday due to issues with a particular patch. This was also supposed to be the first Patch Tuesday using a new format, which led some to believe that even Microsoft had issues understanding how the new format is exactly is exactly going to work with no more simple bulletin summary and patches being released as large monolithic updates. So, w- w- there's speculation that the the importance of this patch because there's in in the wild zero day flaw in in Samba, right? But it's maybe they're just having trouble. I say, okay, sorry, we got to delay this because. It's good to have the patches out there, but it's better to get them out there properly than have a cluster muck up. Right. And the last thing you want is kind of to have that negative reinforcement of like, oh, yeah, you patched this thing and it broke my stuff. And now I'm wary about applying patches. And that just breeds mm-hmm. bad things right away. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yep. Yep. Okay. So back to the roundup. How to run a rogue government Twitter account with an anonymous email address and a burner phone. Interesting. So, the this caught my attention because it's very similar to an earlier story we did on how to run a a Twitter account as a as an activist. So this is very similar, and some of the information they give here is we we covered before. You know, use Tor, um, use Sigint, um, get a burner phone. Uh, they claim you can cr- create a Twitter account anonymously, and they go through the bit about, you know, make sure you go through Tor. Okay. Yep. So the people that were interested in that first post about being an activist on Twitter will be very interested in this because it it's written by a different person, but it's a different point of view, and it goes over some of the same points, but it's always good to hear the same points expressed differently because you might get more information. So if you are thinking about doing this, even if it's not uh, as a government, uh, a rogue government Twitter account, it's useful to anyone that wants to be anonymous on Twitter. Right. As you said, like these would be, this is a use case where someone really has to take those things seriously. So it's a great working Mm -hmm. case example of how to do this, things to consider, how to keep yourself safe. Yep. Interesting point in the second paragraph. Anonymous speech is firmly protected by the First Amendment and the Supreme Court and its history in the U.S. dates to the Federalist Papers written in 1787 and 1788 under the pseudonym Publius Publius? by three of the founding fathers. So basically, anonymous speech has been around for a long time in in the U.S. and there's no reason why it should not be allowed to continue. And while we like we keep working hard to make these interconnected social networks and more and more things that'll you know hey you can log in everywhere with your Google identity I think we forget about that in our day to day lives but you're right it is very important especially if we're going to protect you know the fourth estate and other similar things we need people to be able to have honest comments and protect their identity. I agree. Ooh, okay. So in that same kind of vein, RSA conference attendees get hacked. Yikes, that's kind of the last thing you might expect at an RSA conference. So, the RSA conference is perhaps the world's largest security event, but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily a secure event, reports the e-security planet. It's really bad. Yeah, wow. Scanning the conference floor revealed rogue access points posing as known and trusted networks. According to security testing vendor... Pony Express. Just because they're, they're there doesn't mean people are using them. They're just there. I mean, anyone can do them. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they say, what's worse? Several attendees fell for these dummy Wi-Fi ser- services that spoof well-known brands like Starbucks. The company also found a number of access points using outdated, outdated web encryption. So much for security pros. No. Oh, jeez. At least two people stayed connected to a rogue network for more than a day. doesn't mean they didn't know what they were doing. Sure, right. They might have been investigating that network. That's true. So I don't put much, much weight in, into what they're saying here because right. you, you, you didn't contact the people and find out what's going on. 
And this might be exactly the place where people would be doing that would be, you know, hey, I want to investigate. Will people fall for this or just investigate mm -hmm. the people around you on the spectrum? Yeah, there's I don't think there's a lot of substance in this. OK, so this next story kind of caught my eye. Mm -hmm. Why buying used cars? Hey, I'll admit it right now. I've bought used cars before. Could put your safety at risk. Yep. Why? Well, it's a certain type of car. It's not all cars. It, it's it's a potential for a safety risk. So a lot of smart cars, well, smarter cars, um, the manufacturers create an app and you can access your car through your the app on your phone. So I unlock the car, oh, find it where it is. Kind yeah. of the modern day, like, uh, instead of the little car badge you have, a beep it, you can do it all from your phone. Yep. So what this guy, who happens to be a uh, security researcher, um, he sold his car, and he still had the app on his phone. And he kept using it. He could find out where they where the car was. He could do anything he wanted to. I don't think he actually did anything. But the issue is is that you sold the car, but someone else still has control of it. There's no sort of wiping of other people's access once you get control of the car. So there's um, no like car factory reset sort of mechanism. There's no factory reset of the centralized data. Wow. So you, wow. That's yeah, that definitely seems like a security risk. Now, I don't know if you can always go, go, you know, always ask the car dealerships how mobile apps work and confirm any previous owners are no longer on the app. But have have the car manufacturers thought about this and are they doing it? I'm I'm not convinced. It's an interesting niche as to how you can get in, but yeah, no, I definitely agree. You'd think there should be at least some sort of like rekeying or repairing thing or, you know, hey, reset and then, yes, I have to sign into the app again and type in this number or something. Uh, I can't believe that all car manufacturers have not thought about this. Yes. This is exactly the kind of thing that people who aren't keen on more technology in cars are exactly going to latch mm -hmm. onto. You know, it's like, yeah, yep. fine, you can do it, but should you? Have you thought about it? Do you know what you're doing? And mm -hmm. things like this are like, no, no, we don't. Which is a shame because there's no reason that you, you know, I mean, there are some reasons. We talk about those reasons. But in theory, we can get, we should be able to get these benefits and do it in a way that can protect privacy and security. We're just not seeing it done that way. I wonder what Tesla does. Yeah. I know I've seen a couple things about those. We'll have to, I'll keep my eye out for that in the future. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, with that, I think we have one more story in this week's roundup. Hostile subdomain takeover using Heroku slash GitHub slash desk mm. and more. What does this mean? Um, this is very particular. It's if you have a subdomain that you've farmed out to, say, uh, a third-party provider such as Heroku, GitHub, Bitbucket, um, and you're, you've used it for a while. So you have IP, you have a domain name or host name pointing at someone else's IP address, then someone, you stop using it, and then someone finds it and takes it over. And it doesn't seem to be very difficult to take it over. All you do is you sign up for the service and say, hey, listen, I'm using this. And it's already with them, so they say, oh, okay, go ahead. And you just update the IP addresses. Well, you can't update the IP addresses because it's someone else's uh, DNS service. But yeah, that that's basically how it works. Wow. So they say there are three things that make this scenario da dangerous. It's really easy. You sign up for a new account and claim the domain. That's it. You're done. Two, it's completely hidden. You as a domain name owner have no idea that it's going on. Right. You're not contacted it, at all. It, it's just DNS entries pointing at some service somewhere else. Um, there's n n there's no traces left for the d domain owner because n none of the traffic enters your control whatsoever. It's all on someone else's IP address. And they, they say that they claim that the service provider is unlikely to be able to fix this in a reasonable way. 
So now they go through a scenario. A domain owner points their wildcard DNS entry to a third-party provider. They forget to add the wildcard entry to their third-party provider app. The attacker can now claim any subdomain they want from the domain owner, so they can make anything they want. Wow. A domain owner will be unaware of the subdomain being exploited. Yikes. That's, yeah, that's, you're just, you've just taken it over for all intents and purposes there, at least to the, you know, to the end user's perspective. Mm -hmm. and So the recommendation is audit your DNS, looking for stuff that's no longer in use. And set up your external service so it fully listens to your wildcard DNS. Right. And anytime you hear you're like delegating responsibility to others, that's always oppor yep. opportunity for a leak or a loophole or exactly like this. Yep. And we have now identified 100 plus different ways that you can be vulnerable to a domain takeover. Ooh. Now, of course, th these people are trying to sell their domain monitoring service yeah right well of course i guess so but hey so i mean keep keep, keep that in mind in maybe that's the maybe that's the right choice that. for you right if you uh, don't have the chops it, to do this it may be it may be awesome well i think that wraps up the roundup do you have anything else you'd like to add this week for our wonderful viewers nope nothing more okay that's all awesome well then with that everyone you'll have to stay tuned Join us back next week. And this has been this week's episode of TechSnap. It was live streamed on Fe February. Yes, it's February. February 21st, 2017. If you'd like to see more of this show, you can go check out the archives. Hey, or there's a ton of other awesome shows on the network. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com. You can also go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. See when this show airs live and the rest of the great shows. If you'd like to talk to us more, you know, hit us up. You can do that. I'm at Wes Payne on Twitter and Dan is at TechSnap Dan. We'll see you next week. Bye.